Amen. Thank you. Uh, it, is, uh, it is great to be back. Uh, thank you for everyone who's taken part so far. Um, I wonder if you can remember the 15th of March. <laughs> Not a chance to say some. Uh, the, 15th of, the 15th of March was the last Sunday that we gathered in this building together. Uh, it was the last physical worship service that we had in this space. And since then, we've had 24 weeks of services online. Uh, I don't think any of us would have considered that that's how 2020 was going to pan out. But do you know what I also find interesting? And this is an, an even bigger test. Can anyone remember the topic of the sermon on the 15th of March? That would be very impressive, but I was hopeful. Um, we had just started a three-week series, uh, and that series was entitled What, Why, How? And we were going to look at the basic principles, some of the basic principles and practices that, of our church family here. So in the second week, we looked at baptism. The third week, we looked at communion. But we started on the 15th of March, What, Why, How? Church. What is church? Why do we do church? How do we do church here at GBC? And in the week that followed that Sunday, the lockdown announcements were made, and in many ways, and for pretty much all of us, life has shifted substantially. And we now find ourselves in a setting where restrictions have eased enough to permit us to to gather physically for our worship services again. And for many of us, it's a complete relief. We've been looking forward to this day for months. We're we're delighted to be here. For some, this this just feels too strange to enjoy. you want to chat, you want to hug, you want to get a cup of coffee, you, you, you want to spend time in close proximity with people, you want to sing with gusto, and we just can't and we shouldn't. And so it feels too strange to enjoy. There are still plenty of others who wish they could be here but can't or, or shouldn't be or, or maybe don't feel ready for that yet. Or maybe you've been joining online on our services and, and you've never really physically attended with us and so it just feels more natural to continue online for the next little while. There are so many emotions and feelings and expectations and excitement about today, about physically gathering to worship our God together. And so as I sought to prepare for this morning, I felt drawn back to that last time that we were here on the 15th of March when we looked at what is the church? Why do we do church? How do we do church here at Gilnerick Baptist? It feels like those questions have taken on a slightly different feel in the months since then. And I also feel those questions have become a little bit more significant for us to consider. We'll maybe view them slightly differently. Why are we here? Why is it important for us to be here? And as we did on the 15th of March, what I would like to do is to search scripture with those questions. What does the Bible say church is? What does the Bible say is the reason why we should gather? Why do we gather? I wonder how you would initially instinctively almost answer that question. Why are you here this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus already, I wonder what scripture comes to mind that that has compelled you to be here this morning. Now please be assured, this is not simply a repeat of the sermon from the 15th of March. Uh, You're more than welcome to go back online and check that out. In in that uh, session, we we looked at uh, some of the images, particularly in the New Testament, of what the church is. A flock, a family, a body. Uh, But this morning, I think it's an opportunity for God to remind us of these wonderful truths of why he calls his people to be together. Uh, And maybe for us to gain a fresh appreciation for them as we meet. Uh, And for those who are joining us online, uh, this is not intended to any way uh, alienate or or suggest that you're not a significant part of our service this morning. Um, What I want to do is to recognize the normal pattern that's laid out in Scripture 
which we would long for our experience to be in any place and at any time. And so our overriding question this morning is simply that. Why do we gather? Why do we gather? And I think there are some big picture concepts that we see in Scripture and also then some very specific instructions which should help us as we seek to answer that question. And so let's consider that big picture concept. And so when we step back and view God's Word in its wholeness, we can see the theme of a gathered people right across the whole of Scripture. So from Genesis, not only do we see God creating humanity, but then in Genesis chapter 12, we see him call Abram. And he calls Abram and enters into a covenant with Abram. And in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12, we see these words. I will, this is God speaking to Abram. I will make you into a nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Uh, and so one of the things we see is God choosing Abram to be the father of a specific people. A people who would be in, in a special relationship with God. And this, of course, would become the Israelite people, and a nation chosen by God in covenant relationship with him. And one of the markers of God's people, of the Israelite people, was that they would gather together. And in how they would live their lives, they would seek to honor him in every way. And in doing so, they would be a witness and a blessing to the world around them. And as they gathered, there was often a specific place that represented the presence of God with them. And so as they journeyed out of Egypt, God gave them the tabernacle, this physical space which represented his presence, his specific place to focus their hearts and their minds in worship as they journeyed from Egypt towards the promised land. And then they entered the promised land and God gave them the temple, instructed them in the temple. Because they were now a settled people and yet again one of the, the key markers of God's people was to have this specific location for them to gather. It wasn't necessarily about the location or the building or the tent of the tabernacle itself. It's what that represented and what that gave them opportunity to do. It was a specific place to gather, to worship, to sacrifice. And in these settings, in the tabernacle and the temple, God had instituted specific times, specific ways in which people were to gather and were to hear from him, were to worship him, were to bring their sacrifices to him. They were to remember his activity in their lives. They were to devote themselves to serving him again. And there was something significant about doing that together. Yet, Yes, there were individual sacrifices, of course. Yes, there were individual worship and prayers that took place in those areas. But God also clearly gave instructions for how and when they should corporately meet together. We move through the rest of the Old Testament. We see further examples of God's people gathering for the public hearing and explanation of his word. But you begin to see the, the beginnings of this big picture concept of God's people physically gathering together. And this continues into the New Testament, where we see Jesus and his disciples. He gathers his disciples, a specific group of people to teach and to minister with. At the end of his earthly time with them, he then sends his disciples out to go and make more disciples, which they do as we then move through Acts, and we see the church take this mantle that Jesus gave them to go and make disciples and the gospel spreads throughout the entire Roman world. And as it does, God's Spirit works in hearts and lives and people respond to that message. They repent of their sin. They're baptized and they join the community of faith. And so we see that again throughout Acts, the gospel spread. The church was on the move. And further through the New Testament, then we reach the letters, some of which are written to whole churches, some of which are written to individuals but most of which have some kind of command or direction 
on how those churches, how those communities of faith were to gather together, how they were to be led and organized, what they were to do when they gathered. And finally then, our our sweep through Scripture ends with Revelation, uh, where we get this glimpse into, into the glorious future that awaits those who know and love Jesus and have given their lives to him. And John, as part of his vision, records in Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so what does John see? What's he recording for us? This wonderful, majestic, worshipful picture of what is to come. And what does he see? It's a great multitude gathered together to worship. This wonderful, diverse collection of people gathered to praise the name of Jesus. So from from Genesis to Revelation, it seems we have this picture, this pattern of how things were to normally be of God gathering his people, gathering for worship, gathering for teaching, gathering for fellowship, gathering for growth, gathering for witness. God's people gathering for worship, for teaching, for fellowship, for growth, and for witness. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about a specific instruction. We've had a look at the broad sweep of Scripture, the big picture concept that we see And then zoning in now on the passage in Hebrews 10, what I hope that we will see is the continuation of those characteristics of God's gathered community. This list, worship, teaching, fellowship, growth, witness, that list helps us to answer the question, why do we gather? And we're going to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 10. And specifically, we're going to look at uh, verses 23 to 25. But before we get there, I want us to start in verse 19. Uh, And the reason we need to start in verse 19 is because It's there, and in the verses from 19 to 22, we see the writer to the Hebrews explain how it's possible to be part of God's gathered people, how it's possible to be part of God's family, and it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So before we consider why do we gather, let's just quickly see how it's even possible for us to gather. How are we able to be part of God's community of faith, covenant community of faith? So verse 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. These These are rich verses for us they're they're steeped in old testament imagery but but they show the wonder of the gift that we receive in jesus that that we draw near to god not because of, of anything that we have done or anything that we can earn but we draw because we can draw near to god by the blood of jesus only by the blood of jesus he is the great high priest who offered the, the once-for-all sacrifice for sin so that when we give our hearts to him then with the full assurance of faith we can, get, we can have our hearts sprinkled. We can be cleansed. We can be pure before our holy God. Not because of anything we have done, but because of Jesus taking the penalty of our sin, rising to show his victory over sin and death. And, and there's so much that we could explore in these verses. And perhaps you'd find it helpful to spend some time reflecting on those verses, verses 19 to 22. And just to marvel at the wonder of grace. 
that God has given us in his son. This is good news. The message of Jesus is good news because through him we are drawn into God's family. It's all about him. But moving on this morning, as we, and with that picture of Jesus in our minds, he is the way by which we're welcomed into God's family. Then the writer goes on in verse 23 to 25. He continues, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and what hope he's just talked about, what hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. With the question of why we gather in our minds, perhaps it's natural for us to zone in on verse 25, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. They sound like apt words for our context, don't they? Um, But we must remember that these words weren't written nearly 2,000 years ago into the setting of a global pandemic where where there was physical restriction on gathering. No, it seems that they were written into the context of a group of believers who were struggling with the discipline of meeting together regularly. And I think that makes these words powerful in our day because we've we've broken for a while the, the routine, maybe the habit of meeting together And there could be many of us then tempted to ask, well, well, why do we have to? It was more comfortable in my PJs at home. You can wear your PJs here if you want. Um, Why why do we need to do that? Haven't the online things worked okay? Uh, And let me just say, perhaps the online services that we've been doing, perhaps they felt like a spiritual lifeline for you. And they've just kept you connected to one another and to our Father as we spend time in his word. That is wonderful. We are not decrying the last six months that we've experienced. Maybe you've been able to, in this season, tune into other churches and receive teaching elsewhere. Fabulous. May God have grown you in him in doing so. But, but these verses in Hebrews show that there's something about how we're designed as Christians that means we're built for community. And we're built for, for a physical, tangible, local community. And as I said, that doesn't mean that the online method has been invaluable or hasn't been valuable. What I mean is that by all of what we've seen so far, that in general, as normal practice, the biblical picture of church is of a gathered community of people. But we do find ourselves in unique times. Some of us can't make it out. Some of us shouldn't make it out. So we we are seeking to keep connected through this online uh, provision. And in doing so, we're continuing to spur one another on. And it's the best that we can do for now, but it is not what we want to become the new normal. We long, for everyone who's been joining online, we long for you to be with us. And can I also say, if you're geographically not able to be with us, uh, please do get in touch, and we would love to try to connect you with the Gospel Center Church where you are, where you can experience what we're talking about here. But getting back to these verses in Hebrews, I I want us to consider some of the reasons the writer gives for why the church gathering is important. Because the writer links the meeting with a greater purpose. The end goal here is not the meeting together. It's what is provided through the meeting together. Just look at verse 24 and we see this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together is how the sentence continues. See, so clearly the meeting together is one of the ways in which we can spur one another on. And for me, this sentence of spur one another on toward love and good deeds For me, it it contains those characteristics we talked about earlier. The worship, the teaching, the fellowship, the growth, 
and the witness. And so in that sentence, I think we see all of those things. Well, how is that possible? Well, let's walk our way through it. How do we see worship, teaching, fellowship, growth, and witness in this concept, in this encouragement to spur one another on towards love and good deeds? Well, remember verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You see, we're to remind ourselves and one another of who God is, of what he's done, of of the hope that he's given, of the salvation that he offers, of the truth that he calls us then to live out. We're to spur one another on in that way. And how do we do that? We do that by worship and we do that by teaching. We remind one another of who God is. We celebrate his activity in, in his world and in our lives. And we can do that through worship and teaching. And of course, we spur one another. This is a communal activity. It's a corporate exercise. And to do that, we enjoy deep and genuine fellowship with one another. Relationships that go way beyond surface chat and rather encourage one another's hearts in our mission for Jesus. Contemporary writer Sam Albury puts it like this. One of the reasons church is vital is that the practice of meeting together is one of the key ways in which God encourages us in our faith. We have been designed to meet with other Christians to help us keep going in the faith and to whom we can be an encouragement to do likewise. See, one of the reasons we meet is for the benefit of the others who we're meeting with. And I know that this idea of fellowship and then spurring one another on in that idea of deep and genuine fellowship, this is one of the things that is most difficult for us in the current guidelines. I know that this level of genuine fellowship might feel curtailed by socially distancing. In normal circumstances, we enjoy that level of fellowship by being physically together. So we do have to think creatively then in these days about how we, how we can do that with and for one another. As I said in my letter that went out to the church family this week, let's not allow the social distance from one another to become emotional or spiritual distance from one another. Let's continue to find ways to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So lift the phone. Meet in the park and go for a walk. Pray regularly for someone. Write letters. Send a card to those who are on your heart. Let us continue and let us consider how we may spur one another on. And remember that we are united in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in him. So let's proactively find ways to, to express our love and care for one another. Even in these difficult days, I understand that. And the reason we do that, the reason we spur one another on, there's even a purpose for that. It's not just a motivational speech. It's not just gathering around and patting one another on the back. There's a purpose for our spurring. So we spur one another on toward something. There's a sense of development and movement here that we spur one another from one place toward another. That's what the spurring is about. And we spur towards love and good deeds. And that, I think, shows us that our spurring of one another is actually an encouragement to to see one another more faithfully and radically live our lives devoted to Jesus. That's what I think that love and good deeds is about. It's a call to faithful discipleship. That's the motivation we're to give one another. That's the spurring we're to do. It's not just spurring one another on to be nicer people. That might be a byproduct of, of it, but rather it's spurring one another on in the glorious things of God spurring one another on towards a deeper love of God's word, spurring one another towards showing God's love to our neighbors, spurring one another to be more 
boldly speaking of him in our daily lives, spurring one another to more lovingly obey the good direction that he's given us. And so we gather to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And one of the ways we do that is to gather, to gather for worship, teaching, fellowship, and growth. But worship, teaching, fellowship, and growth is not all there is to our gathering. It's not the pattern we see through Scripture. If it was, there'd be something really vital lacking. You see, you see the result of the worship, teaching, fellowship, and growth is that we become a, a, a more vibrant and compelling witness for Jesus. And that's been, it seems to be part of God's plan, God's intention right from the start of Scripture. So when he calls Abram, he calls him to, and blesses him so that Abram would be a blessing, a channel of blessing to others. The corporate worship activity of the Israelites were to be a sign to the neighboring nations of, of the Israelites' trust in their great and good and true God. Jesus told his followers that they were salt and light. They were to be his witnesses. The church grew through the Roman world as the early disciples faithfully taught and lived out their faith. So it seems that one of the reasons God calls his people together is for them to then shine for him when they scatter. Rick Hill helped us to consider this a little bit last week in looking at Psalm 24, that one of the reasons we gather is to be equipped in the worship, teaching, fellowship, and growth. We are equipped and encouraged then as we scatter as Jesus' ambassadors, as his witnesses in the world he's put us in. See, the end goal of the church is not just to put on an event for an hour a week. No, not at all. The end goal of the church is to glorify God. And we do that by building one another up, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, loving one another in a way that then impacts for the gospel way beyond this physical space. That's what it means to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's why it's important to meet together. Not just for the purpose of meeting together, but so that we can worship, teach, enjoy fellowship, grow in Christ. And all of that leads to God's work in us and through us so that he draws others to himself by our witness for him. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So on this significant day, when we have gathered together, as we've considered why we gather together in these strange circumstances, let's continue to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's celebrate the gift of physically being here. Yes, absolutely. But whether you're here physically or watching online, let's continue to spur one another on in worship, teaching, fellowship, growth, and witness. Because the day is approaching. There's an urgency to our mission. Because the King of Kings is coming back. And so uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing King of Kings' majesty again. Uh, Because there's a, a wonderful sense, not only of the majesty that that song lifts our eyes to see, the majesty of our King Jesus, but also our responsibility that we lay ourselves down before him to be used by him. Uh, And so we'll join in singing that together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good word. We thank you, Father, that uh, in it you you teach and you mold us. uh, You shape us more into the character that you would have us to be. Father, thank you for the, 
the big picture concepts we see in your word and also the very clear and specific instructions that you give us. And God, I pray that as we've considered why we gather, why you call your people together, we thank you for the gift of being with one another. And we thank you, Father, that you, even though we celebrate this, even though we see the rightness in this, thank you, Father, that over these weeks and months, we have also recognized and celebrated the the joy that you are not curtailed by this physical gathering. And you have been with us as we've met online. You continue to be so. We have experienced worship and teaching and fellowship and growth and witness as we've done that. And so we praise you, Father, that, that, that you are good, that you are majestic, that you are sovereign, that you are able to work in and through situations and circumstances that we don't fathom. And in the midst of that and in celebrating that, uh, we recognize the gift that you've given us of one another, how you have indeed called us to be your children as individuals and therefore brothers and sisters together as part of your family. And God, we pray that as we do adjust, as we continue to meet together, as we continue to meet together physically or online, Father, would you help us to continually spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And all of that, Father, all of that spurring, all of our uh, desire for depth and discipleship and obedience to you, all of that is so that you would receive the glory you deserve. All of it is only possible because of your saving work in our lives. And so we praise you, Father. Your majesty, I can but bow. I lay my all before you now. We thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. So let's sing together, and then Jonathan will come and close our service.